Well, a bit later than expected. I know, but you know, we're we're here now, and it's you know, it could have just faded off and just fizzled out and would never be here again. But Bond Jam still still goes on. It's not like we've got a huge audience waiting for us, going where where are they? <laughs> I, I'm just in the, hoping somebody just stumbles upon it and sees this, this massive library of, of previous yeah. recordings and, and go, why were these guys recording for years Yeah, yeah, been when no one was listening? <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't be appreciated in our lifetime. This will yeah. be a posthumous success. They'll just dig them up and go, why do these exist? <laughs> <laughs> now come along and listen to us talk with the Bonja. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bonja. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Hello and welcome to Bond Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the booth by the wall to my something a bit closer to the stage. It's Mr. James Turner. <laughs> Hi, Simon. You all right? Yes, good. Thank you. Uh, How are you? Yeah, I thought you might have gone for maybe um, Baines to. What's the other one? The Baines to my bootmaker. Yeah, yeah, something like that, maybe. So I thought uh, about it. I thought about the Kananga to the Mr. Big kind of thing. Yeah, I thought, no, yeah. you know what? James appreciates when I go obscure. So that's, that is that's, super that's obscure. obscure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what does that signify that we might be talking about today, James? We are going for the first Roger Moore film, which I thought would never, would never, ever happen. Um, but we're here now. We are on. Oh, I thought it would happen. I thought it would happen in about 2018. <laughs> When we started. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I thought we'd be on the world's night enough by now. But um, we were rather optimistic in thinking we'd get onto this last year. Well, you know, it's, this is like a new season, it's a new start, a fresh start. That's what we I said did the last isn't it? episode, yeah. didn't I? So, um, so it's nice just to start again. Yeah, with, uh, a new. We bomb. sort of uh, we sort of arbitrarily designated episode sixteen as the end of season one. I think just to justify the break that we were about to take yeah. and you taking over for an episode. So welcome to welcome to season two, everyone. <laughs> My question is how how long do you think it'll be until we do get to Timothy Dalton? How long will we be on Roger Moore's films now for? Um, three years. I'm going to say three years. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's, safe <laughs> that's not even me being like, like <laughs> exaggerating. That's just realism at this point. Yeah. Anyway, we're here now. The Roger Moore era has begun, and we'll be talking a, a lot about Roger uh, for the for the foreseeable future. But James, perhaps you could do me the favour to kick off this season two by just telling me what's Live and Let Die about. So the film starts off with uh, three MI6 agents dying. One is um, one gets killed by um, when he's observing another funeral uh, happening. Another is killed by when he's in the UN. He gets like there's this, some really loud sound kills him. Death um, by noise. Yeah, <laughs> death, death, death by noise. Um, and then someone <laughs> then gets killed by this invisible snake bite as well. So, um, so that makes James Bond uh, brought into action to try and investigate why these people have been killed. All three were investigating uh, the links between a guy called Doctor Kananga and. Um, and this like crime boss guy called Mr. Big, um, and the links between that, uh, and Bond just kind of just kind of just goes from place to place, hoping he'll find something that will uncover the mystery, which there isn't really much mystery there. He just uh, finds out that Doctor Kananga is actually um, 
is the same person as Mr. Big, and what he's been doing is he's been producing heroin, I think, is it heroin? Yeah. Uh, through yeah. Uh, through going through poppy fields in a place called San Monique, and then Mr. Big is the person who then distributes it, which basically is himself as well as. So, um, so yeah, it, 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 there's some voodoo elements brought into it as well as. There's not much intrigue as to where the story goes, but there's enough happening to make you go, "Oh yeah, I'm just, I, I think I'm on the right track." Yeah, so. I quite enjoyed the um, the sort of detective aspect of it. Yeah, um, and we'll go back to the the start as you mentioned the, the the three agents. I don't think I really necessarily picked up that the first guy was an agent because I thought he was more of a politician. Yeah, I I, I thought exactly the same. Yeah, because um, in the UN thing. You mentioned in our Diamonds Are Forever episode when I asked whether Diamonds Are Forever had the weakest opening or not, and you you brought up Live and Let Die as a possible contender for that. Uh, having rewatched it more recently, what do, what do you think? Uh, I take it back. Um, yeah, I, I I do like the intrigue of it. The fact that Bond isn't in it also makes me go, oh, actually, okay, this is different. Uh, I like I like the setup. I like the idea that. You know, it really it dives straight into the plot. Yeah, it's not like Goldfinger or something where it's kind of a bit of irrelevant fluff before we start. It, it does that. It basically sets up the three murders that Bond is sent to investigate for the remainder of the film. I think in execution, it's not as successful as its idea is, as concept is. Yeah, um, the funeral s- s- murder um, is um, is my favorite of the three yeah, by far. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and the highlight, but I think maybe that maybe that should have been the the final one because I I, I definitely find that the uh, the build up to the snake bite and then just the kind of anticlimactic <laughs> little little jab, yeah, um, and even the music kind of just winds down like oh, <laughs> is that it? Um, it's a bit uneven, yeah. but I like the idea of it. We go from the uh, the third murder into the title sequence. Yep. Um, the music's great. I mean, the song, isn't it? <laughs> to go from the, watching the, the previous films that we've discussed on the podcast to this, if the music itself sounds so different to anything we've that's been before in uh, the Bond series, and obviously yeah. we look we hear "Live and Let Die" now, and it's all it's a classic Bond tune and stuff like that. But it was so different, surely, back then when that was released. Oh god, yeah, yeah. Uh, George Martin's score overall, I quite enjoy when it's there. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like especially like his his intrigue music and his suspense music and his action music is all quite good, I think, and I quite like the head tapping funky beat that you you hear. Yeah, and he brings in his Bond theme and the variations of the Live and Let Die theme. I think his sort of romantic music is less successful. Um, there's bits of it. I don't know if you ever watched like the last of the summer wine back on like Sunday evenings. (laughs) It just sounds like, you know, not really bond music. And I think the biggest problem in the music is that just like large portions of the film don't have any. Yeah. Well, you see, because living that die is one of my favorite scores. Yeah. So there's some amazing tracks in, in on that soundtrack, but I can understand where you're coming from, especially when you consider things like the, the boat chase and stuff, where it is largely. Unscored. I mean, if you to, to listen to the soundtrack, obviously all the stuff on the soundtrack is good. It's just there's there's large sections that are 
kind of seemingly unscored. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like we're getting ahead of yeah, ourselves. Yeah, we are. We're so jumping into certain parts. Let's jump we? back into the plot. Um, so we come out of the title sequence, and we're we're at home with Bond. Yeah, yeah. And we get our we get our first look at Roger Moore as the new Bond. I was quite honed in on this viewing to sort of watching and studying Roger Moore mm. and, and seeing how is he choosing to do his Bond in his first outing. And I, I don't know necessarily that it's his best performance as Bond in this. I feel like he's a little stiff to begin with. He seems absolutely delighted to be there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but he sort of feels like he's kind of maybe overperforming all of his lines a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, pack, sir? <laughs> uh, coffee, sir? Well, well, I recently watched um, The Persuaders before watching Live and Let Die, uh, just by coincidence. And that was the thing he did just before he was cast as Bond. And he's a lot more out of shape in that. His hair's overgrown. And to see the transformation between the, what he was like in The Persuaders to his first it's the first time we see him in Live and Let Die I think he's gone through a drastic change he looks much more younger than he did uh, because of the way he looks now and he's been quite determined to make sure he does uh, come across the, the way he comes across in that first scene that we see him in. he's very trim isn't he he's yeah very, like very short yeah, hair yeah. very neatly sort of quaffed yeah um, <laughs> I don't mean to disparage his performance at all I just think that you know he's over the moon to be there and he's perhaps overthinking the way he does everything you know mm. like how am i going to be bond with this line how am i going to be bond with this line and i think perhaps as he went along perhaps he just settled into playing it as roger moore a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i kind of got the feeling throughout here that, that there was a sort of uh conflict going on between the lovely warm roger moore-esque parts of the performance and the cold hard bond-esque parts of the performance and i found myself finding it a much more successful and enjoyable performance if i stopped trying to tell myself that you're meant to like this person because <laughs> i automatically like him because he's roger moore but if you think no no don't 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 watch him thinking you're watching roger moore doing these things watch him thinking you're watching james bond doing these things and a lot of the things he does in this film are, are quite cold and calculated <laughs> You know, he, he just uses people for information again and again and again, you know. Rosie and then Solitaire, he's just like, bed them, uh, but then immediately like, I need information. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> well, yeah. give me something now. I, I, like, I think that's, that's, probably, that's the only reason I've done it. You yeah. Because I was watching this from, yeah, it's Roger Moore. Yeah, yeah, this is this is this is ace. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that the, his obviously his treatment of of women in this film is uh, is perhaps the weakest thing about the film. But that's something we'll probably touch upon as we go along. It, but uh, I think this. that's what I what I was kind of trying to t I'm trying to get at. I think is that if you watch it thinking, yeah, it's Roger Moore, he's cool, he's a great guy. Oh, he, that's that's not great though, is it? The way he's doing that. But actually, you know, the, the Bond in, in the literature, I think, is quote-unquote the good guy, but he's not necessarily a nice guy. And I think he actually does it quite well in this. There's, there are a few moments where it goes a little too far for my liking. Mm. But I think if you, don't, if you don't look at it thinking, oh, I want to like this character, you can appreciate that actually he's, 
he's the good guy, but not always the nice guy yeah. <laughs> in the way he does things. Yeah. He's, he's doing it for the right reason. He's getting, he's, he's always after the, the mission. Yeah. And in fact, perhaps more than later films, I think, like other than being in bed with Miss Caruso at the start, I don't think he um, chases after any women for any other reason than for wanting something out of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he does sort of stay surprisingly on task compared to, say, I don't know, Moonraker, where it's just like, oh, well, we've got 10 minutes to spare. What shall we do? <laughs> Dr. Kanago is at President of New York. The CIA have been informed and they're helping out with the surveillance. Your flight arrives at 11.30 a.m. Obviously, um, sets the mission off for Bond and then off he goes to New York. Yes. Now, I think of Live and Let Die. I think of this this scene, I think, of him coming out of the airport looking for his taxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he just... I don't know, has Roger ever looked as good as he does there? Yeah, I mean, this whole the whole stuff, all the stuff in New York that happens is my favourite part of the film. Yeah, um, I think it is. I watched it last night, and um, I think, broadly speaking, the first half is stronger than the second for me. Mm-hmm. I think it loses its way a little bit towards the end um, and s- slows down towards the end, but I think the pace is pretty good uh, up front, and you know the breadcrumbs that keep taking him from one place to the next are all pretty logically laid out. Yeah. And... Um, I was saying, because I should go back a little bit, because I, like a few years ago, showed my partner all of the Bond films, but we weren't weren't initially going to watch them all. But she was just like, you know, pick one for us to watch. And for whatever reason, I was just like, let's watch Live and Let Die. And stuck it on with, with very little context. And I think her experience before that had been like... Um, the Brosnan Bonds, perhaps, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. And if you go into this thinking, right, I know Brosnan's Bond, let's have a look at this one. I think you're going to have quite a jarring reaction to it um, for, for the way things have aged, the difference in performance and the tone and some of the attitudes to race or gender or whatever. Um, so, uh, so, so she didn't uh, she didn't rate it very well. Let's say <laughs> on our first viewing, and we watched it again last night. And but beforehand, I sort of said like, you know, maybe maybe you'll feel different now that we've watched them all, and you know, you've seen you've seen what came before it. You've seen Diamonds Are Forever, and you know, you know, sort of like where the benchmark was by that point yeah. in the series. And um, and I said, you know, uh, there there is a. a a sort of interesting thing about the Bond series that's particularly noticeable in the 70s, which is that it always seemed to be inspired by the sort of current trends and popular movies of the time. And that's not not unique to Roger Moore's films by any stretch. I mean, if you look at the more recent ones, they clearly went through a Bourne phase and and then into a sort of Dark Knight, post-Dark Knight Yeah, I think that's how Bond has survived so long that it does Yeah. Dalton's ones, you know, License to Kill was clearly uh, post-Lethal Weapon and post-Die Hard yeah. movie. Um, but I think it's particularly noticeable throughout the 70s, throughout Roger Moore's uh, 70s mo- movies, where there's quite a clear comparison to be made. And and so I think it really helps to go into this film with that context of, um, you know, the films that were popular in the early 70s, 1970, 71, 72, the sort of... Um, 
black exploitation mm. genre yeah. of films that included things like Shaft or Superfly or Trouble Man or Foxy Brown, those sort of movies. They were gaining in popularity and they were, you know, largely uh you know, aimed at black audiences, but a growing black audience in the US in particular. And someone had an idea that was, let's take the whitest guy you can think of and put him in to sort of juxtapose against that world. And it's hard to argue with that idea. It's like, yeah, it's, I I love the idea. I love the concept Mm. of like shoving this fish out of water whiter than white Englishman into that and, and, and just watching him stick out like a sore thumb. And like Strutter says, like, you know, that, that clever disguise he's wearing. You know? <laughs> um, so it, you have to sort of bear in mind, like the state of cinema at the time and the state of the U S at the time, I suppose, of just like how unusual, how unusual such a, such a black cast was for a mainstream movie that wasn't specifically aimed at a black audience. Yeah. And they're not all, uh, you know, playing villainous roles. No, no. The, the, f- the, f- the few that are playing allies are played, you know, strong and dignified, you know. <laughs> uh, it's of its time, though, and I think that's important to sort of bear in mind. You go in watching this thinking, right, I only know the Daniel Craig movies, let's go. <laughs> yeah. you, you might find it, like, difficult to adjust to. But I think with that in mind and with the context of... of, of you know, the historical context and also knowledge of the Bond films up until that point, my partner had a much better time with this movie last night oh, than she had good. the first that's time. Good <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the film is best viewed with that, you know, through that lens. Yeah. I don't think, you know, if you were looking at it from a kind of, uh, that's hindsight kind of perspective of does this hold up today? Well, under what criteria? Probably not. I mean, you certainly wouldn't get a film made like this today. But um, that doesn't mean it's uh, it can't be enjoyed. I think it's just best enjoyed with that knowledge. Yeah. Black Queen on the Red King, Miss... Solitaire. My name's Bond. James Bond. I really like that first meeting of Solitaire, the, the music... I know you you say it's quite unrealistic the way he says these lines, but that's my favourite. Oh, it's the Bond James Bond line. It's the best Bond James Bond since Goldfinger, if not perhaps better than that. Yeah. I think he he looks like he's just enjoying saying it, yeah, and maybe yeah. that's not even Bond. I think that's Roger Moore yes, enjoying it is, saying yeah, it. Yeah. But I just can't help but enjoy it because of how happy Roger Moore is to be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, God, he there's a man who loves his job. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, like, I what struck me yesterday is like, however bad Kananga is and Mr. Big, you know, same person, but you know, and he is, because he's clearly like abusive and sadistic. Hmm. He must do something right, because seemingly everyone who works for him is loving what they do. Teehee obviously is like his whole gimmick is that he's just laughing the whole time. Yeah. Baron Samadhi is just off his nut, just constantly, <laughs> just like, <laughs> and then you got that um, taxi driver who's just thrilled to just be there. Well, I, 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 it's funny you mentioned this because I actually thought, as he said, obviously he does bad things, Doc, is, uh, Kananga, Mr. Big, but he's not that bad because what he was doing 
like you say, it was, it was abusive and stuff. Oh, you know, obviously he's bad and stuff. Go on, but, go on. Just yeah, ex- excuse Kananga's actions. Yeah, go excuse Kananga. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason why Bond is there is because three agents died. Why was MI6 even investigating drugs in the first place? I don't know. So obviously, Kananga, obviously, you know, as I said, he is a baddie. He does have to bump him off. Um, but there's a moment later on. No, 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 I'm jumping ahead here. But there's a moment where he has an opportunity to snip Bond's uh, little finger. He doesn't. And he doesn't, even though Solitaire gets the question wrong. They have countless moments and opportunities to just shoot the, <sighs> the guys. They just won't. They're like, no, They're too just, nice. uh, take, just time up. Let's feed you to sharks or let's, uh, you know, let's put you in, like, feed you the crocodiles. Yeah. Like, they're just determined to have fun. Yeah, I think that's what, that's what I mean. It's like, I, 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 they don't even want to see the gruesomeness. That's why he doesn't go through with the uh, the snippet of the finger or even watching him whilst he's on the crocodile island. They're just like, let's just let them, let, let, let things happen. I don't want to see it. We're not that, Do you remember, sort, of um, We're not that, sort, of, that sort of people. That cab driver who loves his job, who comes back again later in, uh, in New Orleans, yeah, yeah. doesn't he? And um, that used to be like my standard greeting for you. Do you remember? Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it still is, is it not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just be like, well, hello, Jim. Um, baby. It's interesting to hear you sort of uh, to say Kananga's not that bad. I know what you mean, but I mean, he is. He's like, a baddie, yes, I get that. But compared to other villains up. where they're trying to do world domination and things like that, he's not that bad. So his plan is... Essentially, what Bond discovers is that Kananga and Mr. Big are the same person. Mm-hmm. And their plan is to grow all this uh, heroin yep. and give it away for free. Yep. Through the Fill of Soul restaurants. Yes. But basically, putting all the other uh, drug lords out of business. Because who's going to pay for drugs when there's free stuff? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Leaving him with the only monopoly over heroin for years to come. So basically get the amount of addicts in the country to double and then he's going to start charging. That that's that that was his plan, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty messed up plan. It's not like I want to kill the entire world, but I mean it does destroy lives, James, you know. Well, I get that. I'm not defending Kananga. What I'm saying is he's not as bad as 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 previous villains and he's also uh, you know, textbook kind of abusive relationship with uh, oh yeah well, yeah obviously yeah that's all bad and stuff but <laughs> <laughs> look at you backpedaling there i know what you mean you yeah. know he's not like he's not kind of like hugo drax levels of like wipe out the entire world no 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 repopulate like noah's ark yeah but, he's just a, he's just um, a, a drug dealer who who wants uh who wants to get more profit for his uh his drugs i it means yeah. k- killing people he don't want to get his hands dirty he'd rather let him have have a bit of fun with those uh with those people who get in his way he's determined to have fun yeah he is determined to have i think yafit koto is brilliant yeah yeah i yeah. really enjoyed his his performance um last night um I'm trying to rack my brain back to when I first saw it, but I don't think his disguise is ever convincing. I mean, it's hard to know now because I just know it's him. But Yeah, that's the problem. I don't think there was ever a point that I didn't know. I, I um, would like to show somebody who's never watched this film before because I can't remember the I first saw, time I ever watched it and gone, oh, I, I think, didn't know that. I think maybe when you first see him, you think this, like, what's wrong with his face? It doesn't look, quite look right. Um, so I don't know if it's a huge surprise when he does reveal it. Mm. It's not quite revealing like Bond says but 
I just think he, I don't know if it's all like, it was all there on the page, but uh, he just seems to sort of imbue these little kind of like details. He's not kind of just like all one note kind of cackling and maniacal. Yeah. There's a part of him that's genuinely sort of really sensitive and jealous and possessive and butthurt that Solitaire turned to bond and he's like you know like when the time came i would i would have given you i would have given you what you wanted and you you knew that like (laughs) i love how you quoted him but in saying it in a completely different way than he said it but (laughs) yeah i think he genuinely loves her yeah yeah yeah. he's genuinely hurt by her it's not like i don't care about anyone in this world i think he's genuinely like he's he sees her as his like and there's those kind of really sinister lines about like you exist to serve me and that power is mine to use. And if I decide you're going to lose it, I will take it away. And it's really like dominating, malicious, controlling, abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's based in like real attachment and jealousy and insecurity. He's not someone, I think he just was pleading going back to that moment where you said about, letting bond off when solitaire gets it wrong you can see the hurt in him that he just was pleading that she'd be right yeah yeah, yeah. he wants he wants, he wants to believe her it. to he wants to believe yeah. her and i love the moment when when he when he lets her believe that she'd got it right for a moment and then it's just sort of watching her going like soon solitaire soon <laughs> and you see his you just see his brain working i just think it's a brilliant performance yeah, I agree. There's a... Oh, there's... oh, a snake. I forgot I should have told you you should never go in there without a mongoose. As Tom Mankovich wrote this, it's got a lot of the same sort of crackling quips that Diamonds Are Forever started to introduce. Mm, yeah. Roger Moore's just given, like, quip after quip after quip. Even Felix is just like, oh, for a minute I thought he was lying down on the job, that kind of thing. <laughs> Roger Moore's is like constant quips and the script is really sharp in that way. Like they, they're sort of groaners at times, I think. Yeah. 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 Like they don't all work. <laughs> it's kind of like, he's just trying every pun he can think of, but they don't all work. Like <laughs> a genuine Felix lighter illuminating. <laughs> what? Speaking of which Felix lighter is in this film. Yep. And in the form of my favorite uh, actor to, uh, to portray, Feel it's like as well as David Hedison. Um, mm. Do you think? Do you think he'd be your favourite if he didn't come back? If it was based on this film alone? What do you mean? Because obviously, obviously, he was until Jeffrey Wright. More recently, David Hedison was the only Felix to yeah, have played the part more yeah, than once true, when he yeah. came back in Licence to it's Kill. Hard to, do you think, it's hard to say because do you think the fact that he comes back and gives it that kind of really plot integral part in? License to Kill with Timothy Dalton, that that informs your overall fondness for him. I'd have to say it probably does because I, when I look at the Felix Lighters combined, and I go, who's yeah. my favourite? I do look at the performance in both those films. Of all the Felixes that we've had, though, I still think that he's the best. I mean, he's not the same as any of them, no. really. He's not been consistently the same. It's hard to imagine them bringing back, say, Jack Lord or whatever. Mm. But what is clear is that there's a chemistry between the actors. I was going to say that. I think, yeah, you can tell that it, it looks like they've been good friends. Yeah. They both seem really thrilled to be there. Yeah. And, yeah, I think we didn't see Felix many more times after that, did we? 
or next time it's Living Daylights and Licence to Kill after that, isn't it? Yeah, so really, Living uh, Living Daylights was the sort of blot on the record, really. Because mm. imagine if David Hedison had been in that one as well. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. I mean, we, we all every time we talk about Felix Leiter, we always say, maybe we'll do a Felix Leiter episode. <laughs> I don't know if we need to at this point. Yeah. But suffice it to say, if we were just to sort of, let's just assume that we'll never get around to doing a Leiter episode. Who's your least favourite? Um... Sorry, I can't remember the actor. My mind's gone blank, but uh, it's probably films. The Diamonds Off Forever. What's his name? Norman Byrne. Norman Byrne. Yeah, uh, it's probably my least favorite. Because I always said about Norman Burton's Felix would be like he'd be fine if he were a different character. Mm. He plays that part fine. Um, I don't know. It's it's between him and John Terry for me. What about? I, I don't, sorry, I've, I've, I've pronounced this. Cess Linda. Sec, sets, yeah, whatever. Cess. <laughs> um, I think at the very least in golfing you get some friendly relationship. Yeah, you do actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I still think that even though Cess Linda is older in Goldfinger, there's that there is yeah, that familiarity. Right. Right. I don't get the sense that Timothy Dalton's Bond and John Terry's Felix have any history together. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. <laughs> What the hell are you trying to do, Bond? Start World War Three. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's it is kind of like the last appearance of Felix in this for a while. For uh, what is it about fourteen years yeah. before we got another one? So yeah, I think that maybe they should have stuck with him. They should have brought him back. Yeah, um, yeah. In in Living Daylights, I think even if just this one film, I think he'd still rank up there for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he doesn't have the sort of quite the cool factor of your Jack Lords or your Rick Van Nutters perhaps, but he's above Norman Burton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, everyone is sort of quipping and making puns and stuff in this film. Yeah. That's what makes me think like, you know, the, the, the script is obviously very tightly written in terms of the jokes and the one liners and the, the, all the quips that Bond does like the snake and the mongoose line. But I'm not so sure that all of those like, character details of Kananga were were as as written or not. I get the sense that maybe Yafet Koto had a had a strong belief in what he wanted to be. I, I he he was a not not someone who I think would have just willingly gone ahead and played a paper thin stereotype of a black villain. Yeah. I think he was quite conscious of the type of part he would be willing to play mm-hmm. and I think it's to his credit that he makes the character as sympathetic as you seem to find him, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good evening. Name's Bond. You have a reservation for me. Ah, yes, Mr. Bond, of course. Mrs. Bond has been expecting you. Mrs. Bond? She arrived earlier this afternoon, sir. Said she preferred something a little more private. Bungalow 12. An incurable romantic, Mrs. Bond. So he checks into the hotel, doesn't he? Yes. And um, Mrs. Bond has already reserved a bungalow for them, which uh, you know is obviously a big red flag. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what gets me about this is like it's it's so obviously a trap. Mm. But he just sort of goes and starts checking himself in anyway, and yeah. Yeah. doesn't really. He's like, yeah, I'll put my gun on the bed, and I'll just go and have a bath. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't seem that fast. He's like he finds the microphones and the hidden bugs, yeah. um, but then doesn't do anything no, about it's not them. Like for ages. Nope. 
no, no. Or um, some champagne instead, or whatever he ordered, some Bollinger. There's moments, I think, where um, Roger's acting is sort of, like, slightly dialed up, like, sort of, almost sort of pantomime levels of, like, his reactive acting, mm. like, the raised eyebrows and the... Oh, I'll just I'll go to look like I'm going to make I'm going to speak into this hairbrush, but then I'll stop and think about it, and it's all a little bit telegraphed and over overdone a little mm. bit. I, I can't imagine Connery sort of um, you know doing it with with quite the sort of stiffness of of Roger Moore, but but uh, I don't know why he decides to just get in the bath to have a shave. Yeah, when he's perfectly clean, <laughs> clean shaven. I've anyway. never seen a face that like. <laughs> needs less of a shave than Roger's face. <laughs> it's like, like just tearing away at the skin. They put a tiny little snake in there and just hope for the best. And they just <laughs> burns the poor thing to death. And then Rosie appears. And um, I don't know. I think this is one of the film's sort of weaker points is just how hopeless they make Rosie, but also Solitaire as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, like so, Rosie makes Solitaire look pretty competent. Yeah. Um, it's hard to buy her as a convincing agent when she's sort of just so easily spooked and yeah. <laughs> and sort of uh, terrified of everything. Uh, I suppose that plays into the um, the superstitions of the faith and the the, the cult aspects of this plot. You know, there's yeah. certain people in the film that that buy into this more than others but you know she's screaming her head off when she sees a, a hat yeah <laughs> like oh come on um i did like her line about cyanide uh pills you know when she she, she doesn't immediately that's the one time it looks like bond is just trying to buy some time by getting a bit of action <laughs> with with a lady but i found his attitude towards rosie quite condescending and and patronizing at times yeah yeah and that, that is the start of or one of the weaker points as you said but i also don't understand why the villains decide to give themselves away immediately by just sending her a message with the queen of cups in an upside down position it's like what, what, what was the point i always i don't know i sort of figured that maybe that was solitaire warning bond i don't know oh I've never actually given it much thought until you've mentioned that because it doesn't sort of immediately get followed up. No. It's not like Solitaire, although when Bond appears, Solitaire doesn't immediately sort of give his position away or anything, but she doesn't exactly go, oh, thank God you're here to rescue me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the sequence where Bond does infiltrate uh, Kananga's castle base, wherever it is, that, that palace, um, and meets solitaire again uh when he's playing around with those cards you know i have an issue with this scene <laughs> i was gonna say it's the worst part of the film i'm not sure uh it's just doesn't sit right with me the way bond uh manipulates yeah solitaire here. Uh, you, you look at that now and you go my god how wrong it's so wrong but did audiences back then just go oh typical bond oh dear i think that's what he was going for he wasn't going for what a seedy dirty uh, i think the, that's the cringiest part of it for me is is the idea that in 1973 there are all these kind of old white guys going <laughs> he, he, he rigged the deck 
he tricked this <laughs> 21-year-old or whatever she was. This, uh, I don't know. It's just a bit icky and gross. Yeah, and I think, I think. It's, it's, that is the, the part that dates it the most, really. Um, I think it has a similar problem to you know something like uh, Skyfall. And Skyfall's far more recent and really mm. doesn't have the same excuse of time. No. Um, but where Bond sort of uh, uses his position of Bond in, in Skyfall is sort of Severin's way out of this world that she's trapped in. Yeah. And he sort of he abuses that position to kind of initiate sexual contact with her in a way that suggests that maybe, you know, you know, it, it's this or I'm not helping you yeah. kind of attitude uh, you know who is and she's like a you know a victim of like the sex trade and a victim of abuse and i think that's a similar thing here because i mean solitaire is clearly a victim of an abusive relationship already and i just felt like saying you know hasn't this poor girl suffered enough you know yeah, yeah. because i mean it's it's hard to tell really the film doesn't seem to make its mind up fully on how real some of this psychic ability stuff is mm. um yeah. it's often shown early on in particular like solitaire can read the cards and tell you what's happening yeah. there is definitely a supernatural element to this to this film That's yeah um but i think for the most part there's there's usually a sort of uh, less supernatural explanation for a lot mm. of it we were watching it last night and my partner said oh you know she's got a good gift of, isn't, isn't she she's she she's got a good vision obviously she can see him coming across the water or whatever I said, yeah, either that or she's got a window. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's usually, you know, she could just be, it's it's a bit like, uh, I think it's a little bit like astrology in some ways. You know, you can, if you give a a broad enough reading, it could be interpreted in a lot of ways. And, you know, if you say something like, oh, I see trouble and I see danger, like, yeah, well... That, that that's everywhere you know you could say that about anything and and when it happens you go ah see i was right <laughs> like i see death well death death happens all the time it's, it's hardly uh it's, it's hardly a very specific prediction is it yeah. which which makes the idea that she could somehow use the the tarot cards to to sort of answer a very binary true or false question about the numbers on the back of a watch later seems a little bit like is that even what her powers were for like yes or no i i like to think of course that you know within the bond universe there is no psychic power or magic no but it certainly kind of plays with the idea that is it isn't it oh baron samadhi he's comes back to life he's still yeah what does he though i don't know i kind of i don't know what i make of that final shot i think somehow i just sort of ignore it i'm just like yeah it's symbolic more than anything you know Mm. i don't literally think he sat on the front of a speeding train you're saying it's like a a fourth wall break it's like it's the end of the film (laughs) yeah i think it is yeah i think it's more of a leaving with something to talk about yeah yeah leaving with a final laugh or a final gasp or a final huh yeah yeah. (laughs) question (laughs) yeah uh you know what bugs me every single time about this film mm. is the tarot cards. Yeah, it's it's too on the nose, isn't it? I mean, inevitably, I imagine what happened was they produced these cards as merchandise. Yeah, yeah. But it's like they've used the merchandise in the film. Yeah. And it's got 007 written on the back of the cards. Yeah, yeah. Did no one think that that was a 
good like, that's not a good idea is it like <laughs> no uh, yeah it, it bugs me as well to be fair but you do believe I mean really believe in the cards well, they have never lied to me then they won't now so Bond manipulates Solitaire into basically giving herself to him because she believes so firmly in the the truth of these tarot mm. readings that the moment she sees that card, she was like, well, I've got no choice. Might as well then. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I think the only way that the film, the, the writers, I don't know, I get the sense that maybe they, they felt like that was a bit weird. And the way they excused it was to basically have her just become immediately obsessed and addicted to him mm, yeah <laughs> so she's like oh well you know i suppose i've got to give myself to you because that's what the cards say but then immediately she turns into like a sex addict you know yeah once she's had a bit of bond she wants to roger more yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was good good morning you're uh... mrs bell you're not my instructor where's mr bleaker <sighs> indisposed i'll be giving the lesson i don't want to skip to the end too quickly without mentioning mrs bell (laughs) i just love the bit straight after that actually uh where he feels like he's getting an earful from mr bleaker um about now now i'm sure there's no need for name calling (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's 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 funny it's kind of it is that guy hamilton diamonds are forever kind of chase yeah that's not actually good no you know, it's, it's silly. Them driving in circles yeah. like 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 they do in diamonds are forever but it's funnier than diamonds are it forever. works better than and, like the moon buggy chase, yeah for and it's shorter and it's so, yeah. so it's better but it's just bad guys just like crashing into stuff <laughs> not not because of what bond is doing but just because of their own incompetence <laughs> at one point one of them's just like i can't i can't find the brakes <laughs> he just <laughs> drives into a plane <laughs> See, this film just made me have a smile on my face. Well, that's it. it. It's that's what a Bond film should yeah. do, isn't it? There is a character that I wanted to just discuss with you, um, mainly because I have no idea what happened to him. Um, Strutter. Strutter yeah. died. D- it, but he didn't know because. You think you, that's why you presume he dies, don't don't you? Because he goes, he's at the funeral, and then he's not there all of a sudden. Yeah. But then, feels later, when Bond disappears, he gets a phone call from from a guy called Stuart. Okay, James, I think you may have missed something here. Uh, <clears throat> so, that's actually one of my favourite parts of the film because I think it is brilliant in the fact that it doesn't need to show what happens because you already, you already know, know yeah, yeah. what happens. That's what you look look at. Yeah, but I think it's great that it doesn't yeah, show yeah. it because, like, like that very brief second of that little man next to him looking up at him, and you, and then the music changes, yeah, yeah. and you go, "Uh oh, he's yeah, dead." Yeah, he's dead. The reason he's called away from his table is to get Bond on his own yeah. to drop him down under the floor. So he, you're saying he's dead, even though that he got a phone call. Yeah, I don't. There's there's no one on the other end of the phone, as far as I can interpret it. Okay. Um, Felix comes back and I, what I assume he would have said after saying, what happened to my friend? You know, he would have come back and said to Bond, oh, there's no one there. He must have got cut off or whatever. Uh, okay, okay. But Strutter yeah, okay. is yeah. dead. But I, 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 like the, uh, I like the way that they don't show it because they know 
you, you don't need to show it twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like just the presence of that man once again, and all the same people from the the funeral yeah, the first yeah, time yeah. round. You just know like the writing's on the wall by that point, and uh, yeah, I thought the audience fully understood what happened. Not me. <laughs> well, no, no. Obviously, I, I understood what was going on. It's just that the phone call threw me off. The fact that you got a phone call later on. Oh, well, that's clearly because they're trying to get lighter away from Barbara. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I remember watching it a few times and. I don't know, just choosing to put it on late at night or something, but for whatever reason, I've fallen asleep to this movie more than once. And I think it's due to the lack of music at parts, and it goes very, very quiet. And I feel like I always remember waking up around the same moment of, like, the crocodile farm or the bus chase sequence around that kind of time, Mm. um, where it just goes completely quiet. <laughs> for about twenty minutes of just no sound, no music, rather. Um, it's around that point in the film where we get that sort of extended chase sequence, which goes on for a while, and uh, we're introduced to Sheriff Pepper. And this is the part of the film where I think it, my brain starts to go like, "What? What am I watching right now?" <laughs> it sort of seems to sort of go down a sort of tangent for a while and bond is sort of absent for prolonged chunks here and there Mm. while pepper just has this little side plot going on when i used to watch living that die as a kid i used to always look forward to uh the boat chase scene and because of sheriff yeah because of sheriff pepper toby toby i got me a regular ben hur down here doing 95 minimum He's got a few great funny lines there. I think if he had not outstayed his welcome so much, I think it would have been probably better. Yeah. If he'd been in the film from around the time he chases after the the first guy to maybe the boat crashing into his car or something. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) That's probably enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think he steals focus a little bit too much. And I stop feeling like I'm in a Bond film so much. And I don't even feel like I'm in a riff on the black exploitation genre anymore. I feel like I'm I'm moving into some other kind of genre altogether, you know. Yeah. So we have that admittedly impressive boat chase sequence, but I think it does go on a bit too long. I like the moment with the wedding. Uh, yeah, and you know, going across the ground and ending in the sort of swimming pool and bits like yeah. that. But it's sort of, I, I think the film is sort of slowly unraveling by this point. But I think by the time we get into this underground cave bit, I'm already sort of mentally checking out of the movie a little bit. <laughs> like, okay, we're winding down now. <laughs> Obviously, this is where Kananga meets his end, and I know you've have reservations about the way he dies how ridiculous well i was gonna say like kananga in this scene is quite enjoyable because i think i think he slowly starts to go insane (laughs) like you could argue he's always insane he's obviously always sadistic and he's always got this kind of plan that is not uh it's not it's not a nice plan let's say (laughs) but I think when when everything starts to go wrong and he loses solitaire and Bond blows up the poppies and, 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 and all that stuff, he's still grinning and trying to enjoy it all. Mm. But it just comes across as kind of like increasingly unhinged as he goes. Yeah. <laughs> I think he senses that it's all falling apart around yeah. him, but he won't admit yeah. it. But he's still determined to do it in a fun yeah. way. He's like, I'm going to feed you to the sharks, damn it. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. He's yeah, just he, a lot he, of fun, he doesn't I want think. to do the, the work himself. He just wants to, like I say, have, have fun. But, um, so go on. You were about to defend his death scene. Yeah, I, I actually really like it. I think it's a good way to die. <laughs> I'll say that again. I actually think it was a good death for a Bond baddie. James thinks that it's a good way to die. <laughs> but no, I, I like the ridiculousness of it. I like the fact that it just inflates him to smithereens. Uh, I don't think it's the idea of it. I think it's the execution of it that falls short. <laughs> well, just how it explodes like a balloon. <laughs> yeah, he's just clearly made of rubber. <laughs> The, the question is, is he using this shark gun on actual sharks? Is his intention? Maybe a deleted scene where Bond has to fend off a shark yeah. and he shoots one with one of them and it just inflates out, <laughs> out of the water and it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just poorly done, I think, because it cuts back to the water and there are bits of like scraps of <laughs> rubber floating around there. Not a single drop of blood. Yeah. I think you'd be better off just kind of cutting away and letting their reactions do it, maybe. Yeah, that would work, yeah. I don't know. I can only defend that so far. I think it is probably one of the worst villain deaths. Mm. And then Solitaire's like, where's Kananga? Well, he always did have an inflated opinion of of himself. Yes, but but where is he? (laughs) (laughs) So then that's sort of seemingly over, and then... uh, they get on the train and then you almost forget that Teehee was, was around because he's been gone a while. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy Teehee. I enjoy all of um, Kananga's sort of henchmen. Yeah, yeah. I'd say a, a fairly underwhelming fight with Teehee, but it does the job. Mm-hmm. I like the use of the arm to foil him with his, with his, with his own apparatus, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, Just being disarming, darling. And then we're, then we're done. Yeah. Do you have a, a high point and a low point, do you reckon? A high point is all the stuff in New York. Uh, it feels different than the, the tropical scenes that we see, we've seen in previous Bond, the more exotic scenes that we've seen in previous Bond films. Um, mm. Even though we do go to like Saint-Monique, that is when it starts to get a bit less interesting for me. But yeah, the New York stuff is really cool. I think that's, that's Roger Moore at his coolest. Yeah, I think um, the opening pre-title sequence is not my favorite i think i like it in concept not necessarily in execution i like the funeral part of it but not the rest um and i'm not hugely fond of the scene in bond's apartment but i like it from the point where he gets to new york Mm. um onwards pretty much i think it starts to kind of lose its momentum somewhere around getting back to san monique with the bus sequence somewhere yeah, around that yeah. point uh it doesn't lose it completely i just think it kind of loses its momentum a bit and that's not helped by the prolonged diversion that it takes with sheriff pepper sort of a lack of focus yeah. happens at that point mm-hmm. and overall i think it kind of just sort of tapers down towards the end it does i don't think it has a, a climax that necessarily brings that quality back up to anything we experienced earlier on i think most of the highs are in that first half however i mean i i really like the scene with kananga and bond when he's got his you know finger in the pincers and asking about the watch and i just love uh yafet kato's performance in that the low points i suppose are kind of various little moments with rosie yeah there are moments of the sheriff pepper sequence that probably are a little too long but 
I suppose for a single standout moment that doesn't sit right, I would say it's probably rigging the tarot deck to seduce solitaire in that way. Yeah. <laughs> but the the way we've you know obviously we've, we've criticised many elements from this film, I feel like out of the films we've watched so far, it's probably in my top three, and I think that's because of the the nostalgia I have for the film as well as my my relationship with this film is a bit unusual i suppose because we talked about it very early on how we both remember watching them on tv and when i was younger i don't think i fully understood this one maybe was a, i was a bit too young for it um and so i recorded over it with the film the following week which was the man with the golden gun and so i only ever really saw it that once when i was sort of 11 or 12 and then it was years before i saw it again and so of all the Roger Moore films, it was the one that for a long time I hadn't seen. And then when I did get it, it was fresher than all the others. Mm, you know, it was yeah. the one I didn't know quite as well. I think there was a point where I overwatched it. <laughs> I sort of overcompensated <laughs> and then watched it too many times. And between you and myself, we've sort of celebrated the film a lot over the years and talked it up as, you know, an all time great over the yeah. years, one of our personal favorites. I think I like it more than it's a great film. I think um, it's uneven, and there are, at times, quite ropey parts of it. But I don't think any of those moments kind of unravel it completely. I think I, think I, I go into this film every time with a lot of goodwill and forgiveness of it. Yeah. I think maybe it's hard for me to see it objectively. I think... I mean, put it this way, I, I don't know if you should just sort of like try and introduce your wife to Bond through this film. Yeah, no, I, 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 you wouldn't, I don't think. But I appreciate it for doing like a lot of new things, you know. Yeah. Some things it does kind of like out of left field, some very quirky kind of characters and new things it introduces that doesn't, doesn't do them all with 100% success, but it does something new. Yeah almost in every scene it does something that you've not seen bond do before or you've not seen in a bond film before it's like unlike any other bond film yeah i agree it's probably a nice little nice line to leave it on to be honest it's unlike any other bond film so there we go uh we're back season two live and let die mm. that was good um Let's play games with James. Yeah, please, James. So, Live and Let Die obviously had a uh, you know a hit title song mm -hmm. that kind of leads us nicely into the game we're going to play, which is guess the Bond film based on a five-second clip of the top single of that year of release. I have absolutely <laughs> no chance. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, what I've obviously done here, James, is cunningly disguised a music quiz as a James Bond quiz, because all you're really trying to figure out is what year did these films come out, <laughs> these songs come out, rather. Yeah. Uh, and then, the, I mean, the only Bond link here, I suppose, is that you know that it must be a year that a Bond film came out. <laughs> I'm going to play you some clips, little snippets, so as not to hopefully get uh, copyright struck. Okay, let's bring this up. And... So am I guessing the film or the year? Well, I want to know the the the, uh, the film. The film, yeah, yeah, okay. So, but in order to know the film, you'll have to kind of vaguely know the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a sort of uh, two-step 
process. Yeah. So I'll play you a little clip from these songs, which were, I don't exactly know how it works out. It's sort of the Billboard year-end top single, which is a kind of cumulative aggregate of okay. sales over that year. You know, if someone listening to this is like, oh, that wasn't the top single of the year, I don't care. <laughs> I went on Wikipedia and I used one particular list of songs to go by. So, uh, you know, it, at the very least, there's only one song from each year that I'm going to play you, so okay. you should be able to work this out. And what I will need from you, obviously, James, is a sound for a right and wrong answer. Yes, you got it right. Was that, was that a right one or a wrong one, did you say? Yeah, yeah, well, that's... No, I'm going to use that as the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can I have a uh, wrong answer sound from you now? Oh, you got it wrong. That'll okay. do. Nice and, you know, route one. Yeah. So, if you're able to, James, yep. here is... Clip number one. Okay. No matter how hard I try. Uh, okay, right. Oh my, no matter need, how. Do you need that again? It's um, it's share, isn't it? Um, do you believe in love after love? Right. Okay. I don't think it was. It's, it's obviously tomorrow never dies, which was ninety-seven, or the world's not enough, which was ninety-nine. So I'm more inclined to go with 97 so i'm gonna go with tomorrow never dies oh you got it wrong no come on that was that was 1999 well the tricky thing about this song and it's a hard one to start with really is i believe the song actually came out in 1998 as such it was still the most purchased single of 1999 what all right let's go to number two okay okay right I remember that song uh, being played when I was at uni. That was always in the clubs. So I'm, it's going to have to be either 2006 or 2008. So I, I'm going to go with Quantum of Solace 2008. Yes, you got it right. Yes, come on. Oh. You're off the mark. See, I thought you'd get a couple of yeah. these right. It's a tricky one, and it's... You know, to call it a Bond quiz is tenuous. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, you know, what have I not done? So That's good. Well done. Yes, that was, uh, I can tell you the names of these songs. Obviously, we had Share and Believe, uh, followed by, uh, what did we have? We had uh, Low by Flo Rider featuring T-Pain. Um, God, I sound so white. So <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you something that to myself, to be honest, but I just remembered the song. All right. So let's uh, let's have number three. Okay. And when I touch you, I feel happy. Right, okay. So I've no no idea the song. I don't have a clue. Um, dating it wise, I say I'm not a very big music expert, so I'd I'd say it's more sixties or seventies. Uh, like the Beatles. Is that a Beatles song? It might even be a Beatles song. I wouldn't know. Um, so I'm gonna go with Thunderball. 65. Oh, you got it wrong. Ah, damn it. Oh, you're close. Oh, was it? It was, uh, that was, of course, the Beatles with I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was uh, 1964, Goldfinger. Ah, so close. Oh, well. Yeah, it was close. Yeah. All right, next one. Here we go. Okay, so that was George Michael, Careless Whisper. I can tell from your face that that's much more up your street, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the question is, when, when was that released? So, uh, 
we look, we're talking about a Timothy Dalton film. It wasn't as late as 95, so it's got to be either License to Kill or Living Daylights. I feel like it was, it, I think it was the first song, that, well, one of the first songs George Michael did after leaving Wham. So I'm going to have to go for the later, because I thought it was maybe 1990. So that means 89 is the closest I can get with License to Kill. So let's go for License to Kill. Oh, come on. No way. That was the top single of 1985. That was like the view to a kill. Right, okay, got you. Close, but no cigar. Yeah, RIP. Yes, absolutely. Right, number five. Never made it as a wise man. I couldn't cut it as a poor man's team. Oh, the head is bobbing. This is how you remind me. Or whatever it goes like. He's enjoying that. Yeah. <laughs> He's enjoying that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so that was, that was that Nickelback, isn't it? Or something like that. Um... That has to be, has to be, Diner of the Day, 2002. Yes, you got it right. Nickelback, How You Remind Me, from 2002. Yes, that's yeah. correct, okay. James. Well done. Uh, does that take you back? Is that a song from your teenage years? Uh, no, I wasn't that. I wasn't a big fan of Nickelback, but I remember Nickelback did a Spider-Man song tie-in, mm. didn't they? And that was 2000, 2002, was that 2001? Something like yeah, that. I think so. So... It must have been when Nickelback were at the peak, so that's why I went for Down of the Day. I think they were always sort of slightly ridiculed in their time. Yeah. I think you get to our age now and we hear that and that's like unironic nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, oh, <laughs> youth. All right, number six. Uh, okay, so this song, I do know the song. Um, I don't know who sings it. I yeah. can't, don't even know the name of the song. So in the eighties, it could it could be anywhere. This couldn't it? Um, I'm gonna go with um, eighty-seven, Living Daylights. Oh, you got it wrong. You shouldn't have done. It's uh, <laughs> that's incorrect. Sorry. Go on. That was uh, what was that? That was Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes from nineteen eighty-one. So the correct answer. So I should have gone for for your eyes only then. Number seven. What the hell is that? <laughs> sounds like a Christmas song. It sounds a bit like like when a child yeah, is born. Yeah, when that, a that, child that is born. It's not. Yeah. Right, I'm going to have to play that one again. Can I just say, I didn't choose a part of this song deliberately to avoid the vocals there are no vocals in this there's no vocals in that song <laughs> the whole song is like that all the way what? through <laughs> well uh, for me that makes it then go back to uh, the 60s here so I'm going to go right, right to the start goal 62 Doctor No yes you got it right yeah come on that was Stranger on the Shore by Mr Ackerbilk oh. <laughs> All right, let's move to the next one. Number eight. Because you had a bad day, you take the one down. Had a bad day. Right, okay, right. Um. <laughs> I could see you, you, your face lit up then. Just that brought back. You'd, you'd forgotten that song existed. Yeah, didn't you, I, I, don't, I don't even know who sings it, but um, it feels quite old now. So I feel like I'm going to have to go with. 2006 Casino Royale for this. It makes me sad that you'd say it feels quite old, so I'm going to go with Casino <laughs> yeah, Royale. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you got it right. 
Yay. <laughs> that was Bad Day by Daniel Powter. Oh. Apparently, apparently the top song of 2006. Oh, wow. I'd forgotten it existed as well, oh. but uh, well done. Oh, yay. Uh, number, nine. number nine. Here we go. Question is, which version? Uh, what, what have we got there? What song is it? So it's either Every Breath You Take by, uh, what is it, Sting or The Police or whatever it is. Um, or it's that one where they redid it and they used that same tune. And I can't tell because I only hear the instrumental part of it. And even if I was to think about it, if it was the, the Sting one, was that an 80s song or was that a 90s song? I'm going to uh, said it before, so I'm going to say it again. Living Daylights um, for 87. Sorry, James, no. (laughs) Go on, tell me. So that was Every Breath You Take by The Police. police, The song that you were imagining it might have been was uh, Puff Daddy's 1997 hit, I'll Be Missing You. But no, uh, that was Every Breath You Take, and the correct answer you should have given me was Octopus. Ah, 83. Mm. Yep. Some of these surprised me. They were earlier than I thought they were. yeah. But uh, here we go, number 10. Right, okay. Goodbye, England's Rose. Now, okay, so this is Elton John, and this was um, the redone version that Elton John did of Candle in the Wind for when Princess Diana died, because the original song went Goodbye, Norma Jean, which was to do with Marilyn Monroe. So... That means it's when Diana died, which was 1997. And that was uh, means it can only be tomorrow dies. Yes, you got it right. Yeah, come on. That reminds me, uh, originally I'd created a different quiz. Originally it was going to be, guess the Bond film based on the biggest news story ah, of the year. okay, interesting. The trouble is, that's just all doom and gloom. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't have been... It would have been like, what film was the Bond film when... Saddam Hussein was executed. <laughs> uh, this is more fun, even know, though we are touching up on these stories as well. I thought this would just be a lighter take, but that last one obviously has a, a an element of tragedy yeah. to it all the same. Uh, but still, expertly deduced yeah, one. Yeah, uh, so, uh, I knew that one. Uh, number 11. 11. Let's go. Okay, right. This is Gangster's Paradise by Coolio, isn't it? And this was done for a sort of... It was a link to a film, wasn't it? That had... Um, what's her name in it? Was it Jodie Foster or something like that? And that was a 90s film. I can't remember what the film's called now. So it, it has to be, has to be 95 Goldeneye. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, no, no, no. Take, take that back, take that back. Uh, could it be 80s? Could it be 89? I feel like I'm going to go with 89, License to Kill. Change my mind. Final answer. You shouldn't have changed your mind. Oh, no. Oh, you got it wrong. God damn it. Oh. Oh, the soundtrack to many a school disco of mine. Yeah. I think what's happened, James, is I have unraveled your confidence. (laughs) I'll go with that. But you're right. It was uh, it was on the soundtrack for the 1995 film Dangerous Minds. That's, that's it, Dangerous Minds. Yeah, uh, yeah. You knew an awful lot about a song, except when it came out. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. 
bad luck. I think you, you just overcomplicated that one. Yeah, I did. Okay, let's try and yeah, finish on a high then. All right, last one. Here we go. Finish on a high. Sugar. Oh, honey, honey. Oh, honey, honey. I have no idea who sings this song or what the song's called, but I know the song. Okay. I'm guessing that was a 60s song. I feel like, was it a 60s? Is it either 60s or 70s that song, wasn't it? I'm going to go, go with 69 and on Manchester Secret Service. I like how for every time I give you an answer, your face remains straight. You don't smile to see if we've got it right or wrong. You just. I like to keep you uh, in suspense. Yeah. Yes, you got it right. You have finished on a high, yes! James. Well yeah! done. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That was good. Okay. That was Guess the Bond film based on the biggest song of the year of its release quiz. <laughs> barely a bond film quiz at all but hopefully you enjoyed that james yeah i did enjoy it i was it was good fun actually because even if i got it wrong it wasn't like a it wasn't a statement on my bond knowledge was it it's more of just a uh, statement on how poor my music knowledge is well i'll leave it up to the text-to-speech person to let us know how you did james scored a respectable six out of 12 i use the term respectable in the loosest possible way Like when someone says they believe in horoscopes and you say, I respect your beliefs. That kind of way. Anyway, back to Simon and the very respectable James. I'm going to guess it was said four. I'm going to guess they said something insulting. No. Thanks, Texas speak person. (laughs) Honestly, don't say those things. (laughs) So, there we go. That was Games with James. Games with James. And there you have it. That was our live and let die episode and uh you know hopefully we'll uh we'll get through roger moore's films uh, within the next three years in the next three yeah. years let's 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 aim for that yeah uh, i've no idea what the next episode will be or no. when it will be do something there a bit of fun can't we until then don't forget that you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at bonjamcast you can watch the video version of this podcast on youtube just search bonjamcast and you can find the podcast version on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts or straight to the source on soundcloud if that's your preferred poison uh <laughs> i think that's everything we covered yep. uh until then keep your messages coming in if you are listening it's always lovely to hear from you because james and i just assume that there's no audience there really we're just we're going to keep doing these anyway if you want to come along for the ride great yeah you know but don't sit there quietly at the back not saying anything come on speak up ask me a question give some uh games with james um ideas as well as don't be fooled by our social media being utterly dead and dormant like if you messages on there we'll get it we just we just can't be bothered to post anything what's the point um unless we know you're out there so let us know come on anyway uh that's all for now uh james don't forget to spread that jam spread that jam everybody and see you next time cheerio 